Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by MyoBuddy. This thing is one of my daily go-tos for relaxation because it combines the benefits of infrared heat, percussive massage, and vibrational therapy for what I can only describe as a mixture of deep tissue massage and myofascial release all in one device. It has really reduced my muscle tension and my need for massage, and many people with conditions like MS, chronic fatigue, etc. are using this for muscle relief. Also, many athletes use it for faster recovery. I personally find the biggest benefit for relaxation and for fascia work, but you can try it out at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash myobuddy. That's M-Y-O-B-U-D-D-Y. And make sure to check the show notes for a special discount. This episode is brought to you by Juve Red Light Therapy, which has become an integral part of my daily routine, and here's why. Juve has red lights with specific wavelengths of red light that increase ATP, which is adenosine triphosphate production in the body by supporting the mitochondria. Now, since ATP is responsible for not just your energy that you feel, but pretty much everything that happens in your body, this is a big deal. This therapy is also known as photobiomodulation, and it has well-documented benefits for skin health, for energy levels, for recovery after injury or surgery, for improving thyroid health, which is what I'm using it for, and even as an anti-aging device because it increases collagen production and hair growth and reduces hair loss. So lots of cool benefits. You can check it out, the one I use, at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash juve, and that's J-O-O. VV. You can also check out the show notes for more information. Hi, and welcome to the Healthy Moms Podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and I am so excited to be here with today's guest. JJ Virgin is the founder and CEO of Mindshare Summit and JJ Virgin and Associates. She is a celebrity nutritionist, fitness expert, co-host of TLC's Freaky Eaters, and a regular guest on Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, and many others. Her simple philosophy of your body is not a bank account, it's a chemistry lab, has helped thousands, and she teaches her clients how to eliminate food and carbon tolerances so they can transform their health and their lives. She's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, and her latest book is my favorite, Miracle Mindset, which shows warrior moms how to be strong, positive leaders in their families, which she is certainly an expert at. While exploring the lessons in this book, she fought to save her own son's life, and we're going to talk about that amazing story. She also hosts the JJ Virgin Lifestyle Show podcast, which is great, and somehow, in addition to all of the work in nutrition and fitness, she is also a business coach and mentor for many entrepreneurs through the Mindshare Summit. So JJ, welcome. Thanks for being here. Oh, good to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm so excited for this because I think you are such a role model and an inspiration to moms, especially because I I still have young kids. You've raised kids. And so I love that we um, get to talk about the mom side a little bit today and the mindset side. And if it's not too personal, I'd love if you could start by telling your story and especially Grant's story and how you came to, to understand the miracle mindset. All righty. Definitely not personal and definitely something that I want to get out to the world because um, you mentioned it in, in introducing me. I think that uh, the world needs more warrior moms out there. And you are a great example of one, by the way, Miss Katie. So it was right before the Virgin Diet was coming out, like literally weeks before. And just to kind of set this up, I am the sole financial support for my family. I had two boys at the time. They were 15 and 16. And I'm also one of those people that goes all in. So I had written The Virgin Diet. It's a food elimination diet that, gosh, you know, I started it with weight loss, but it can help with everything from ADD, ADHD, autoimmune. And I just thought, you know, this is going to be 
it. Like I need to get this message out to the world. So I took the advance that I'd gotten for the book and I invested every bit of it into a public television special and some other marketing and I actually borrowed too. So <laughs> I was completely in. I had This thing had to work or I wouldn't be able to support my family. And I was coming home from taping some videos and uh, I, I walk in the door and my 16-year-old son, Grant, was in a bad mood. Um, he was being a typical teenager, kind of wanted to go do something that his dad had already said no to. So I was backing up his dad and he stomped out of the house. And it was about dusk when he did this. Stomps out of the house without anything on him. I figure he's going over to a friend's house. I went into the garage to do some burst training. And the next thing I know, my 15-year-old son runs into the uh, into the garage and says, Mom, Grant's been hit by a car and airlifted to the local hospital. And it was really like, Katie, at that point, like everything sort of became a movie that I was watching and I couldn't really quite grasp it. I mean, it was I think that our brains do this to protect us from something so horrific because, you know, I always said that no matter how stressful work got relationships or anything else I could always handle as long as my kids were okay. And obviously, you know, airlift is a bad thing. So we couldn't figure out what was going on with him. He was a John Doe at the hospital. The only reason we even knew that he was in the hospital was my ex-husband and other son drove by this big accident scene a couple blocks from the house saw a paramedic, the paramedic looked at my other son and said, a kid's gotten hit and he looked just like him. So we knew Grant was there, but we didn't know what was going on. They wouldn't give us any information. When we got there, they put us in a conference room. So, you know, it's just going from bad to worse. The doctors walk in and they told us that he has a torn aorta that kills 90% of the people on the scene. He had multiple brain bleeds and he was in a deep coma, deepest one that you could be in. And he had 13 fractures. And they said that if he didn't get this torn aorta repaired, that he would die sometime in the next 24 hours. But they couldn't fix it there because it was a very specialized surgery that they didn't do at this hospital. And they didn't recommend us airlifting him to the next hospital because he'd never survived the airlift. He also said even if he survived the airlift, he's not going to survive the surgery. And even if he were to survive the surgery in the airlift, he'd be so brain damaged. And I mean, this should get every warrior mom's hackles up. He'd be so brain damaged, it wouldn't be worth it. And I still remember like looking at this doctor going, <laughs> wouldn't be worth it. And my 15-year-old son at the time, he looks over at this doctor and this, this is what I'm so proud of. So here's a 15-year-old looking at this doctor saying, so maybe a 0.25% chance he'd make it. And the doctor said, that sounds about right, son. And Bryce said, well, we'll take those odds. And he looked at me, he goes, it's not zero, you know, and it just kind of shows you in life, you just got to have some thread of hope to hold on to. And so we went to see Grant and um, it was the most awful thing I've ever seen. He literally had bones sticking through his skin. He was covered in road rash a tube coming out of his brain to monitor the pressure. He was on a respirator, like everything's beeping. And Bryce walks up to him and says, dude, you look really ugly right now, but if anyone can pull this off, you can. You are super strong. You're tough. You've got this. I don't know where Bryce <laughs> got this from because my ex-husband and I were completely like losing it. And uh, he just kind of propped us up. So we went home, threw some stuff in a bag, drove to the hospital, not knowing what we were going to go find there. And two and a half hours in the middle of the night, once we got there, 
it was a totally different situation. There were five surgical teams. The doctor who was in charge of putting the stint in just walked up to me and said, you don't even need to worry. I totally got this. You just go. He took me, walked me out of the scene, which was important. You know, he said later I had to get you out of there because there were literally five surgical teams prepping my son for surgery. He's in a coma. It's all full court press. They take us up to a waiting room. A couple hours later, he comes in. It's now like eight in the morning. He walks and he goes, all right, stints in. He's fine. He goes, now I don't know if he'll ever wake up. That's not my part. I'm just the plumber. And uh, we went in to meet the neurosurgeons and the neurosurgeons are like, we don't think he'll ever wake up, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm not listening to this. Of course, he's going to wake up. And I just kind of made a decision from that point forward because, you know, I've always believed that you get what you expect. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to expect really big, you know, so if we fall short, it'll be it'll still be OK. It's anything at this point. My litmus test was like anything's better than dead. I can't fix dead. We can do anything. I've got amazing connections. So I looked at Grant, I was holding his fingers and I said, Grant, you're going to be 110%. Turns out his name means warrior. And I just said, I just need you to fight. I can pull in all the most amazing resources, but I need you to fight. And uh, it was four and a half months in that hospital, um, weeks in a coma. And it's been five years plus working through a very severe traumatic brain injury where he had to literally at 16 year olds, he had to start all over again, um, learning everything, how to eat, how to walk, how to talk, how to write, who he was, everything. And uh, it's stretched us in ways that I can't believe, but we were sitting around the table last year and talking about gratitude. And my 15-year-old son, who's now 20, said, you know, we are all better because of this. And Grant, Grant actually now is He's so much better than he was before the accident in so many ways. And there'll be deficits like, you know, he'll he'll always have a brain injury, but it's so much better. And, uh, you know, he's got a little hearing loss, but he's better than before. And, it, you know, it's we're all better than before. So now my big crusade with this is to get that message out that I the, the thing that scares me the most with all of this, Katie, is what if we'd listen to that first doctor? How many people listen to that first doctor or listen to the teacher in school who says they can't write or listen to the person who says they're no good at their job? You know, how many people listen to someone who is in, you know, sp supposedly a higher position than them and let that determine their life or their death? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think of that on a much less serious scale for me, like for finding out my thyroid problems. I went through several doctors who told me it was all in my head because they were only testing a couple hormones. And then finally met our good friend, Alan Christensen, who like was able to fix it and diagnose it within like minutes. It was amazing. But like I have goosebumps listening to your story because I mean, that's every mom's worst nightmare, I think, is getting that kind of a phone call. And you have been through that and, and emerged better, which is incredible. But what do you think really made you able in that moment to have that mindset and to fight? Because certainly all of us will fight for our children. And I fully echo your statement about warrior moms. I think moms have a unique ability to change society and to change the future of health because we're raising the next generation. And, and in fact, I think moms are the only ones who truly can to some degree. But how did you in that moment like find that in you to rally and to fight like that, especially because doctors are considered such an authority figure and to have a doctor tell you basically there's no hope. How did you find that in you to fight? So one positive note here is 
my ex-husband's uh, whole family are doctors. You know, I all my closest friends are doctors. So I knew they were human and that I was getting an opinion, right? I think that's always something important, just like with your thyroid condition. You were getting an opinion and that's it. That's all you're getting. And if it wasn't the opinion I wanted, I was going to go look for others. So we had that going for us. And turns out that my ex-husband's sister-in-law went to school with this doctor who saved Grant's life. I mean, so we were already, we were like on the phone with people at that hospital looking for answers. But you know, the internet's the great equalizer. And even if you go, well, I don't know any doctors, it's amazing what you can come up with very quickly if you jump on Facebook, Instagram, start putting the word out to people um, what can come to you. But I've got to back up a little bit because even the willingness to do that came from a different place. And, you know, Katie, I actually wrote the whole book. Um, now we're, you know, renaming the book Warrior Mom, because that's really what it's about. But I, I wrote the whole book and I didn't really realize I wrote all the lessons, the things that helped me get through what's been the last five and a half years of just really having to manage mindset to make it through. And, you know, Tony Robbins says 80% of life is really mindset. And I actually think it's probably more like 95%. It's really what's going to guide how you show up and that strength you have. And back when I was 30, I was a personal trainer and I was in grad school. And I had this amazing client. She had grown up in trailer park in Kansas and she was a self-made multimillionaire, hugely charitable, doing amazing work out in the world. And I just, you know, to me, she was everything. She was who I wanted to be. She was the ultimate role model of just the go-giver, you know, changing the world. And she, as we're walking down the beach, she goes, why are you in grad school? And I said, I'm in grad school because I want to help more people. She's like, huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I always knew when she'd be, you know, huh? I'm like, huh? I said, and she goes, what are you going to do after grad school? I said, I'm going to go get my PhD. She goes, why are you doing that? I go, because I want to help more people. Huh? She goes, you know, those don't necessarily correlate. Like getting more education doesn't mean you'll be able to help more people. And I said, it doesn't. She goes, no, if you want to learn how to be more successful, I'm happy to teach you. Now, I mean, it would be like, you know, Deepak Chopra saying, if you want to learn how to meditate, I'm happy to teach you. It's like, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm all in. You know, I literally moved into her house and lived with her for six months. And it was like, she was my Mr. Miyagi. And for six months, I thought she was going to teach me how to be successful in business, how to make a bigger impact. And the first day she put a rubber band around my wrist. And every time I had a limiting belief or a negative thought, I was supposed to snap it. And this is the type of stuff we did over months. And I'm in the first week, I'm like, oh, no, what have I done? Like, when am I going to learn? And I kept asking her, like, when am I going to learn how to be more successful in business, how to make a bigger impact? She goes, you're not ready. You have to you have to have the mindset for it first. So all of the things that helped me even that first night tell that doctor, hey, we're going to overrule you. And, you know, what I passed on to Bryce saying, we'll take those odds, what we had to do in the hospital over and over and over again, when, you know, the biggest thing we could say, see that whole day was that maybe he wiggled a toe or his eyelid fluttered and, you know, you had to go, all right, he's going to make it, you know, you, everything came down to those tools that, that Kay Smith had taught me over six months when I was 30. And they, I forgot about it, Katie, because it had been such a part of me. It just became 
who I was, that I managed my environment. I didn't let negativity around me. I didn't even have my own mother come to the hospital for a while because she's one of those people that, in you know, I mean, bless her. This is how she was raised, that she looks at the glass half empty and everything is, you know, oh, my gosh, what if he dies? And I was like, I cannot be around that right now. I can't even think that way, right, at all. Yeah, I think that's a huge key. And I, I love if we could like segue into the health side of that too, because I feel like where I see that a lot and where I've even struggled with it myself is having that limiting mindset when it comes to health or seeing like I've always had this health problem, like it's never going to be fixed and it's never. Right. So, and I know that you have helped so many people with that. So how, um, how can people learn from that when it comes to their own health and their own struggles they're going through? You know, it was interesting. I thought about it when, because here it is, the Virgin Diet's about to come out and it made me realize how much bigger that book was, that it wasn't about weight loss at all, that it was really about, you know, I, I work in weight loss. I've been working in weight loss since my teens. And the biggest thing people say in weight loss is I'll start tomorrow, right? And I kept thinking, man, what if I'd walked into this and I hadn't been at my most healthiest, whatever that is for me or for you, because I find for so many people their health is holding them back and it seems so overwhelming that their biggest thing is I'll, I'll start tomorrow or they just give up. They say it's their genes or, you know, it's their age or whatever. And I think it's really about being your best self, whatever it is, and continuing. And this is my through line for my business is that we really are our best own doctor. We're our personal health detective. I write all of my books to take you through a journey to uncover which foods work for you and which foods don't, how many carbohydrates you should have, you know, what type of exercise you should do, because there is no set formula. And all of these things, we all have our own health challenges. My gosh, I blew my knee out at 17 and I had to have a total knee replacement. And, you know, I've got Hashimoto's and we've all got our things. Everybody's got their things. And so I tell, tell, tell both my kids too, hey, we're all going to have those. And I don't know one person out there in the world who is better because life is easy and does well because life is easy. So these are our own personal wake-up calls that help us step up to the challenge and be better because of it because that's how we get better. I, one of the things Kay Smith used to say is don't wish it was easier. She said make yourself better. I say make yourself stronger. And, you know, hey, what if the wake-up call of, of having a thyroid condition made you really focus on everything that you could do in your health and it prevented you from having heart disease or cancer or anything else? We don't know what could have been around the bend. And also look at what what having a thyroid condition has done for all of the people out there that you serve, you know, by you then going, all right, this couldn't be right. There's got to be more to it and going and digging and finding the answers out there. So I look at these things and say, everybody's got something, everybody, I don't know, someone out there and I've, I've coached tens of thousands of people now and impacted hundreds of thousands with these books. And I've yet to meet someone who's in perfect health, doesn't have any issues, right? It just doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Even at health conferences, I feel like we all got there because we had our own struggles. And I always say that the joke is people go into psychiatry to try to fix themselves. And I think a lot of people go into health and nutrition for the same reason, trying to find our answers. And they're the best practitioners, right? Exactly. And I think that's the key. I love that you talk about that because it's easy, I think, to like try to outsource your health to a doctor and to just take their opinion, like you mentioned, and run with it because they're supposed to know the answers. But I think the key is we can't outsource responsibility for our health. We can always get those opinions and it's great to consult experts. But at the end of the day, you're the one who has to take responsibility for that, even if right. you disagree with the doctor. So I think that's amazing that you say that. And as a mom, we take responsibilities for our kids' health 
but also, and I think it's a really important shift, um, is not only to, to start to realize from an early age, hey, do the research on vaccines, do the research on what to feed your kids. Like you own that. And gosh, the internet's made it easier than ever, as long as you know the sources you're getting it from. But as soon as possible, start to hand that responsibility over to your kids to start to teach them to step up and they'll might make some mistakes along the way. But I remember letting my kids um, take their Halloween candy and I was like, go ahead, have what you want. Minute they did it, like Bryce threw up <laughs> and Grant's like, wow, I'm eating this. It's just making me feel sick and hungry. And they were done, right? They connected the dots and they went, wow, this doesn't make me feel good. So look at how you can help teach your kids and have your kids start to take responsibility too, because they get that in an early age. Man, is that powerful. Yeah, I totally agree. I think a lot of times we underestimate kids. Mine are much younger than yours. My oldest is only 11, but he typically makes really good decisions when it comes to food. And it's not because I'm like controlling his food input when we're out places. I really do let him make the decision. He just knows because he understands what those foods do to your body. Um, I think that's a great point. So if a mom is kind of in the earlier stages of this, or especially has younger children and is just trying to kind of learn how to advocate for herself and for her children. Um, I know there's a lot of fear a lot of moms have with like, especially standing up to a doctor or being able to fight like that. So how can people start changing their mindset and shifting that in their own lives? You know, I, I love, and I just rewatch Simon Sinek's start with why. And I think it all, you get the strength from the why and the purpose right? That's always the biggest place. And if your your strength, your purpose and your why is to help raise happy, healthy kids, then you start with that. And then you also realize go in armed. Like when I go into a doctor, like every morning the doctors would come into the hospital, do grand rounds. Well, I'd reached out and I'd gotten a lot of information. I knew it was possible and I knew it was available and I was asking questions and I wasn't going to accept no, or, or, you know, getting brushed off by these, by people, right. Which didn't make them necessarily happy. I noticed they kept coming in for grand rounds earlier and I kept getting there earlier. I was like, we're not missing, but I think gone are those days where the doctor knows it all. There's just too much to know at this point. And if you come in as an informed consumer with very smart questions and, and ask the questions, and if you don't understand something, ask, because what I find with, um, you know, when I was in grad and doctoral school, I felt like they were teaching us how to talk over people. Like most of what we were learning was just how to use bigger words. And I'm thinking the, the best person out there has amazing bedside manners, can explain to you exactly what's going on and how to help yourself. Like Dr. Daniel Amen, he's a great example of this. He's one of Grant's doctors from before the accident. And he literally sat down with him after we did the spec scans, explained exactly what they meant, exactly what he needed to do to take care of his brain, right? And is willing to work with other practitioners as well. And that's another key thing. If you've got, if you go to see someone and their way is the only way and they won't work with anybody else and they make you feel like you don't know and they're condescending, fire them and fire them, right? Look at how many doctors you had to do before you found the awesome, magical Dr. Helen Christensen who made you know you weren't crazy. Yeah, exactly. So I think we like we we stop listening to ourselves. Your gut knows. It's like going, this couldn't be right. That doesn't sound right. I remember early on, I had such bad skin growing up, Katie. It used to drive me crazy. I mean, I was so self-conscious my whole teen years, starting at age 11. I had bad cystic acne my whole teen years. And you know, we went to dermatologist after dermatologist and repeatedly they said, food has nothing to do with it. 
makes me so upset to know because, you know, I mean, I fixed my acne once I uncovered the food intolerance issues and the whole thing with dairy. Sugar alone wasn't fixing it. So you have to just keep questioning and finding those right doctors. Yeah, absolutely. And not being afraid to fire them. I think that's the hardest shift to have. But then once you do that, you have so much power because you're able to like look at them as what they are, which is a consultant for your health, which is important. But if they're not doing that job that you're paying them to do, you're paying them, not the other way around, then find someone who will. And I see this all the time with, um, as a doula, pregnant moms, because it's like, I, I know moms who will advocate for themselves so much. And for some reason, when they go into labor and they're in such a vulnerable time, it seems so much harder to stand up to those doctors and to say no. And so I've had to like encourage moms throughout pregnancy at times, like you get to choose your provider and you can say no to them. Like, don't use language like my doctor won't let me. Yeah. What is that? Like, what are you talking about? My doctor won't let me. You're not in jail. You know, you've got to find that person out there who is a partner in your health with you and a partner in your kid's health. And if you bring in questions, doesn't treat you like you're stupid or that's ridiculous or would you find that, you know, that is out there for you, that it's an open forum. Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned food intolerances and how that was a key for you. And I want to delve into this because I know a lot of moms um, are wondering about that with their kids. And there's a lot of um, information out there, but a lot of confusion as far as how do you actually identify food intolerances and how do you remedy them? And this is obviously the topic of a lot of your writing. So um, let's talk about that. How do you encourage people to find food intolerances? Yeah, it was interesting. You know, a lot of this started back when Grant was young because at age five, six, he started to have some behavioral issues. And I did a load of testing and we pulled him off of gluten and dairy in retrospect. I would never have bothered with any of it. I would have pulled him off of gluten. I, I never would have, had I known now, then what I know now, I would never have had my kids eat gluten or dairy or soy. They didn't do any soy, but they did gluten and dairy. And I never would have had them have it to begin with, but I didn't know. So I pulled him off of it when the testing came out that he had issues with it. I just personally come from a place where I think gluten is evil. What can I say? I just don't think it's a health food. I think it's important to test. And I like to go through, um, Tom O'Brien's got the best information on how to test for celiac. I think it's important to look and see if you've got a, a genetic issue with gluten intolerance or celiac, but I don't believe gluten's good for any of us because it makes your gut more permeable. And, you know, I, I used to think, hey, food intolerance, where your gut's more permeable and your body launches an immune attack to the food you're eating. I used to think that was something that you really had to worry about as you got older. But it's not the case anymore because the key factors for food intolerance are gluten, which releases something called zonulin, which makes the gut more permeable, stress. And we've got kids, I mean, kids shouldn't be stressed out. This is crazy. They shouldn't have the demands on them that we put on them. I absolutely put my foot down and I started doing it, Katie, early when my kids were young. I was going, oh my gosh, I, they should be in, you know, the the kids gym and they need to be in the art class. And they, and like all of a sudden I went, why am I doing this? Like they just want to be home playing and digging in the dirt and I don't need to go have them in 20 classes. I just need to hang out with them. Um, but we've got stressed out kids with eating fructose and artificial sweeteners and GMO foods and gluten messing up their gut and getting food intolerances. So first step is I don't think any kid should have gluten and I'm not a fan of dairy either unless you know that your kid is not intolerant to it and you're getting grass-fed, unpasteurized and fermenting it. So if you can go that route, great. 
I do think that food sensitivity testing, something called an IgG4, I'm not a fan of something called an ALCAT. I found too many false positives, but there's something called an IgG4, and it can be done as a blood spot or a blood test, can be really beneficial for looking for outlier food sensitivities. But in all the years that I've done a lot of uh, testing, I noticed that the top food sensitivities were dairy and eggs, and then the next ones were soy and corn and peanuts. So that's where those came out, and gluten's a different type of test. So what I find the easiest thing to do is just pull out gluten, just make it not a part of your kid's diet as much as possible, and be aware of this because then if you go to one of those school parties where they feed them the worst crap you've ever seen, I don't know. Are your kids homeschooled? They are, right? They are, yeah. So we luckily get to avoid a lot of that. You never had to take them to. I remember going to one of these school parties, and they had beanie weenies. I didn't even know what a beanie weenie was. Like or a mini weenie. It's like these little weenie things and like sugar sauce. And then they had punch and then they had juice and then they had cupcakes and then they had like these fruit roll up snacks. I was like, where like where's the food? You know, it was the absolute most gross thing. But that's the challenge with school is these parties. So you always have to make sure you bring your own and be aware if your kid does have outright celiac or gluten intolerance because they'll eat a little bit and feel awful. But ideally you're keeping the gluten out of their diet and you can do an IgG test to check on the other things. Obviously, we don't want kids on soy either. That's a terrible, not not good for anyone, but especially not good for children. Get them off of soy. It causes girls to develop fast and boys not to develop. So you do not want the estrogenic effects of soy. You want to really watch that. That's one of the issues with a lot of the milks too, especially in the plastic cartons is you're getting estrogenic effects from that. So you're so much better when you unprocess their diet, get out the GMOs, obviously, and that solves a lot of these food intolerances in the first place. Because if you unprocess someone's diet, get out the soy and the gluten and uh, get the sugar impact down and the, the artificial sweeteners obviously out. I can't believe they put artificial sweeteners in kids. Supposedly, first of all, these kids' foods, that's the biggest part of the problem, like kids' meals at restaurants and kids' foods. Like whoever thought of taking something where you put artificial colorings and artificial sugars in something, put it into a little cute little package and call it a kid's food. Like, what are you trying to do? Poison your kids? Like, why would you do this to your child? <laughs> you know? And then you wonder why they have food, they have behavioral problems at school. Like, it's just insane. I'll never forget they gave my kid a pound of M&Ms because he won some Christmas wrapping um, sales contest. They give him the pound bag of M&Ms. They give it to him. He's, I'm not there. What do they think he's going to do? So, you know, then they call me saying, your son's climbing up the walls. I'm like, why? And they told me what they'd done. I'm like, you keep them. (laughs) (laughs) That wears off. I'll come get them. Um, but yeah, so, so I think one of the biggest things that we can do is a keep these foods out of their diet. And again, gluten being the worst culprit and soy, obviously just as a problematic food. And then I would do testing for celiac and gluten intolerance. So you're aware if there's going to be an issue, if it does sneak in when they're out. And then you can do IgG4 testing for the other ones just to see if there's any issues. But the challenge is food intolerance can develop at any time due to leaky gut, which can happen due to stress and gluten and fructose and different types of pain medications. And the other thing to be aware of is if you have used any antibiotics, you basically have scorched earth the gut microbiome and that takes months to rebuild. And so you're going to also want to look at keeping your child on a good um, probiotic as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And 
I love that in the virgin diet you have, because for someone on a really tight budget, if the testing isn't doable, you have a way to just remove those foods, engage reaction and test it for free. Like just change your diet for an amount of time. So I love that. I think that's super practical. This podcast is brought to you by MyoBuddy. This thing is one of my daily go-tos for relaxation because it combines the benefits of infrared heat, percussive massage, and vibrational therapy for what I can only describe as a mixture of deep tissue massage and myofascial release all in one device. It has really reduced my muscle tension and my need for massage, and many people with conditions like MS, chronic fatigue, etc. are using this for muscle relief. Also, many athletes use it for faster recovery. I personally find the biggest benefit for relaxation and for fascia work, but you can try it out at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash myobuddy. That's M-Y-O-B-U-D-D-Y. And make sure to check the show notes for a special discount. This episode is brought to you by Juve Red Light Therapy, which has become an integral part of my daily routine. And here's why. Juve has red lights with specific wavelengths of red light that increase ATP, which is adenosine triphosphate production in the body by supporting the mitochondria. Now, since ATP is responsible for not just your energy that you feel, but pretty much everything that happens in your body, this is a big deal. This therapy is also known as photobiomodulation, and it has well-documented benefits for skin health, for energy levels, for recovery after injury or surgery, for improving thyroid health, which is what I'm using it for, and even as an anti-aging device because it increases collagen production and hair growth and reduces hair loss. So lots of cool benefits. You can check it out, the one I use, at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash juve, and that's J-O-O-V-V. You can also check out the show notes for more information. I know that I'm going to get objections because I do every time I talk about gluten being bad and sugar being bad from people going, (laughs) no, everything in moderation, like this is not balanced. Uh -uh. This is not healthy. You're creating all these bad mindsets in your kids by not letting them have these foods. And I think you answered this question perfectly. So what do you say to the people who say, no, everything in moderation? Would you say that about um, mercury and would you say that about arsenic and would you say that about lead? Like, like, because that's how we have to look at gluten and sugar. Sugar is our number one recreational drug of choice. Now, here's what I did, though, with my kids growing up, because I didn't pull foods like we didn't have, you know, sugar foods and gluten foods in the house. But they would get the occasional go out and if they were at a party, they could have pizza. You know, they had those things and they were around, but they weren't mainstays of our diet at home. And that's really the difference. Like when they went to grandma's house, they had cereal and milk, which they were like, wow, you know, I'm like, thanks, mom. But at home, that just wasn't what they had for breakfast. And so when you teach your kids, and here's what's super cool, exposure equals preference. When you teach them to eat the good stuff first, The other stuff, when they do eat it, they'll notice that they feel awful. Kids don't want to feel bad, you know, that their tummy hurts and that they just don't like it too much. It tastes sweet. So that's what I did was I just kept the good stuff in the house. And I didn't say they couldn't have the other stuff. With Grant, I had to because we pulled out gluten and dairy. Um, But with Bryce, we didn't. And and later on in years, we found out, you know, that Grant, Grant, little bits here and there, weren't throwing him off. Now they do again. He has no gluten. He's totally connected the dots and doesn't eat it, knows what it does. Um, But I think if you teach kids to eat healthy first, and then if they are at a party, as long as you know that they aren't gluten intolerant, they can have little bits of it. It's going to be okay. It's not the birthday cake once in a while that puts that that creates the problems. 
it's the everyday dessert. I was raised on Pop-Tarts or Captain Crunch in the morning and dessert every night for dinner. That's what creates the problem. Those habits. If you teach them that these occasional treats are something that you can have when you're out at a party, that's different. But again, you've got to make sure that they don't have a genetic issue with gluten intolerance or celiac because if they do, that's like saying, well, I can just swallow a little bit of this poison. It is toxic and it's a poison to them and it's hurtful. And that's what I'd also tell you is with a lot of these foods, it's not an everything in moderation because again, it's, it's basically a poison, a poison to the system. I mean, look at artificial sweeteners in seven days. They did a study seven days. You've disrupted the gut microbiome enough to create glucose glucose intolerance that can lead to diabetes, seven days. So we've got to look at these things as what they are. They're toxic and they're poisons. And then you reframe it because no mom's going to say, oh, I just gave my kid a little arsenic. It's okay. Everything in moderation. Yeah, I think that's so key. And also like realizing um, gluten's not a food group and sugar's not a food group. You can get no. healthy carbohydrates <laughs> from other sources. Yeah, what deficiency? I got attacked, Katie. It was so funny when I was doing this. I got slammed and... Uh, Unfortunately, I reacted. Now my friends were like, you don't react on Twitter. Now you're just sending it everywhere. But this nutritionist attacked me on Twitter saying I was creating deficiencies by telling people to pull out gluten. And I'm like, well, what deficiency is it that I'm creating? Because I'm totally confused. Our body does not need gluten and our body does not need um, sugar. These aren't things that we create nutrient deficiencies from. They aren't part of a well-rounded diet. If you teach a kid to eat a well-rounded diet, and I had picky eaters, so it had to be more like they would eat chicken, they would eat steak, they would eat salmon, they'd eat broccoli, romaine, lettuce, carrots, and they would eat berries, you know? So, you know, they were, they were picky, but there's so many different things that you can do now without gluten and sugar and soy. There's tons of options out there. And if you teach them to not go like you look at all the kids' foods, they're so sugar sweetened. You're training them. You're waking up their taste buds and training them to to thrive on sugar. And you don't want it to create a sugar burner with your kids. I mean, gosh, one in five kids are obese. Kids shouldn't be obese. When I was growing up, there was one kid in the whole class who was overweight, not obese. You know, 70% of the adults are now overweight or obese, 40% obese. If you are an obese kid, your risk of being an obese adult is 70%. And you know what? Sugar is at the core of that. The biggest thing you can do to impact your kids' health is lower their sugar impact, teach them to appreciate savory, spicy, and the natural sweetness of fruit, but not to overdo fruit. It's not free food. That's your role as a parent. I mean, don't poison your kids. And I do not believe that, you know, everything in moderation with a little bit of sugar every day, again, birthday party, little piece of cake here and there not going to be a big issue, but also they aren't going to really like it that much when they haven't been eating it. Tastes too sweet, Nikki. Right. And I bet your boys are probably really good eaters now and not so picky because they've now had a lifetime of exposure to all these healthy foods. And you know what? I never nagged them growing up. Again, if they were somewhere, they could have the thing, but they didn't go crazy on it because they were full. First of all, kids actually get full as opposed to adults. We're like, sure, we'll have the dessert. But they they really learned how to eat the good stuff first. And it's my one son's Bryce is off at college and he orders his food from Amazon Fresh, which is cool because I can actually see what he's ordering. And he orders grass fed beef and pastured chicken and, you know, all sorts of vegetables and quinoa. And it's super cool to see that this is what he's choosing to do. He's actually the food editor over at JJ Virgin because he writes recipes and makes all sorts of amazing, delicious stuff. And Grant 
is really careful about what he eats because he totally notices a difference with his brain. I mean, he, he, I was really proud of him because I thought he was staying off of gluten, but he lets them sneak back in. And all of a sudden he goes, every time I eat gluten, I get mad for the next 30 minutes. My whole mood goes down. And so he just won't, he won't eat out. He's really careful about it. Wow, that's awesome. And I think that's a good point with if you want to find the balance as a mom is like when your house, you control that, like what foods you're going to allow in your house and which foods you aren't. And I would say as a mom, we have a responsibility to provide really nutrient dense foods for our kids. And if you want to have that like leeway or the balance, let that be outside of your house. But in your house, you have the control of what food they're going to consume and you have an obligation to them to get them enough nutrients. And so I think that's a great point. Um, you mentioned that sugar is our recreational drug of choice. And I would love for you to go a little deeper on this because I think a lot of people like, yeah, whatever, sugar's bad. They don't really buy it. So why is sugar so bad? I stole that line from our buddy, Dr. Mark Hyman. When he said that, I'm like, that is so good. You've got to look at what these foods do. And by the way, sugar does this. Oh, oh, dairy and gluten do too. They have a um, opiate-like effect on the brain. But it's interesting. They did a study with rats where they gave them morphine and then they gave them Oreo cookies and they gave them the choice between which one of these that they have because they both lit up the same pleasure center in the brain. They were they were testing that and they actually started to choose the Oreo cookies over the morphine for the, the effect on the pleasure center in the brain. Sugar lights up our brain. It is absolutely addictive. And, uh, you know, the more you eat, the more you want. And the challenge is it's not only addictive on the brain, it also changes your metabolism so that your body starts to rely on the sugar for energy and can access stored fat for fuel. So you get totally dependent on it. And, you know, some of us are genetic sweet tasters and have a sweet tooth. And the more that we eat, the more that we want. And we actually start to dull our taste. Like we can't even taste as much. So we need more and more and more. So that's why I say it's so important early on. Like I look at a lot of the kids' foods products and they have so much sugar in them. I mean these these cereals that and, – and this is what makes me so upset. These cereals that have the American Heart Association stamp of approval on them or the foods out there that will say no sugar added but they use apple juice concentrate, which by the way is higher in fructose than high fructose corn syrup and they can say no sugar added on them. We've got sugar everywhere and is basically – making our kids, again, it's it's disrupting their metabolism by making them more insulin resistant, which makes them forced to rely on their next hit of sugar for energy. And, you know, it's creating early diabetes and fatty liver. I mean, we have fatty liver in kids now, but then also it's giving your brain a hit. It's driving serotonin up. And then the minute that your blood sugar comes down, this starts to come down and you need another hit again. So your brain and your body become dependent on it. So, it might feel good in the moment, but it really is devastating to our body and our health and we become dependent on it. It's perfect for the food industry. It's why it's being used all over the place. And you just look at the last 30 years when we got this message wrong, this wrong message from Bruce Ames that fat was creating heart disease. They pulled fat out, they put sugar in, and look what's happened over the last 30 years. And then they thought, well, we'll pull the sugar out, we'll put the artificial sweeteners in, which are actually worse than sugar because of what they do to disrupt the gut microbiome. And so we know now this this doesn't work. It is so clear this doesn't work. But now we have a nation of, of addicts. I mean, if you looked at this and you look at what sugar does, it's at the root of all the major diseases, heart disease, cancer, it feeds it feeds cancer, diabetes, dementia, osteoporosis. 
if you look at all those things and you had any type of medication that was creating these problems, you'd pull it out in a second, right? I mean, if you knew there was a drug that was creating these problems, no one would ever give people that drug. But yet we're giving kids milk and cookies and apple juice, apple juice. Apple juice is more high fructose corn syrup in it than a Coke. You know, we're giving kids juice. We should not give kids juice. We should give kids a piece of fruit and a glass of water. Yeah, I agree. So what if someone is like a self-identified um, sugar addict and they definitely have a sweet tooth and they it's a regular part of their life? How do you break that? Because if it's an addiction, like how can you break that cycle? Yeah. So it was interesting when I wrote The Virgin Diet, I genetically do not have a sweet tooth. I was raised by an adopted mom who's got a massive sweet tooth and that's how I was raised in all those things. And I basically started bringing myself off sugar in my teens. Um, but sadly enough, I thought I was bringing myself off sugar, but I just traded one sugar for another. I was eating frozen yogurt and I was eating black licorice. I thought I was doing better, you know, cause I had the honey instead of the, and it was ridiculous. I wasn't. So it took years to really understand this. And when I wrote the virgin diet, the biggest question I got asked was about sugar. And I noticed people, there were two camps and a lot of people fell into both, unfortunately, as they were confused. Like, well, isn't honey okay? It's all natural, right? I'm like, well, arsenic is natural, so is mercury. <laughs> Doesn't make it healthy. Or they were like, well, artificial sweeteners, they don't have any calories, that must be okay. Or they were just they, controlled by it. They couldn't quit it no matter how hard they tried. And I really set out to clear up the confusion, but also break that addictive cycle. And I was convinced that I could take someone and help them move from being a sugar burner to a fat burner, but also get rid of their sweet tooth in a matter of weeks. And I knew that the problem that we had, and here's what you never want to do when you're trying to fix this, is go cold turkey. Because if you've trained your body and your brain to rely on sugar and you just pull it out, you will crash so fast and you'll go racing back for the cookies. And uh, for a lot of people, they actually don't even realize how much sugar is sneaking in. They don't realize that the salad they just had with the dried fruit and the, you know, the candied walnuts and the raspberry vinaigrette was a sundae. They didn't realize that that latte and the healthy morning muffin was just, you know, loaded with sugar. They didn't realize the marinara sauce had as much sugar as like, you know, six Oreo cookies. They just, you don't realize where it's sneaking in. That's crazy. So the first thing I help people do is realize where it's sneaking in. This is all sugar impact diet. And then I created a new framework for looking at sugar that really looks at the impact of it. So instead of looking at glycemic index, which can set us up to fail because all it looks at is a measured response of 50, um, 50 grams of a carbohydrate, and your blood sugar response to it, which no one really eats that way. You might eat that way if you're eating a bunch of potato chips, but it certainly isn't if you're sitting down to eat broccoli. So it's a really weird way to look at food. And it also doesn't take fructose into account because fructose doesn't raise blood sugar. Instead, fructose goes straight to the liver. And if it can't be turned into energy there, it starts being turned into fat, which is what it's most likely fate is. And while it's doing that, it's also made the gut more permeable on its journey. And it also didn't raise any of your blood sugar. So you're still hungry. Your body doesn't realize you ate anything. So I wanted to make sure that this new framework looked at how much your blood sugar and insulin increased because you'll see something like um, artificial sweeteners impacting insulin. And you'll see something increasing your blood sugar, but you didn't eat a 50 gram dose of it. You put it into the mixture of a meal. And then I also want to see fructose. And I wanted to contrast that with fiber and nutrient density. It's the difference between having a glass of orange juice versus having an orange. You're getting the fiber 
you're getting, of course, all the nutrient density, but so, but I wouldn't have someone drink orange juice because you just pulled the fiber out and you just got this big hit. So I created a new framework. I went through and, and help you identify where all the sugar sneaking in things like the marinara sauce and the, the light salad dressings, all the places we'd never expect. And then, and this is what's so key. I created a tapering system so that we go from high sugar impact foods to medium sugar impact foods to low sugar impact foods. And we taper over the course of one to two weeks based on how someone um, lands on the sugar impact quiz. So I always have people and everything that I do, I felt you self-identify from the beginning. we got to know our starting point. And that really is based on symptoms. And then I have you taper down and then you go through a two week period. And this is so powerful where you pull all fructose out of the diet because fructose, the reason we're using it so much in sweeteners is it's super sweet. And because it's super sweet, the more of it you eat, the more you want. But also the more fructose you eat, the better your body gets at getting fructose straight to the liver and turning it into fat. But you can turn that around quickly, which is what the, the second cycle of this program does is it helps people quickly get poor at processing fructose so they're not as good at making fat. And then you go back at the end of that period and you re-challenge to see how you're doing. Like how does that sweet tooth food taste and what does it do to your body? You connect the dots between what you're eating and how you feel and also your weight. And that helps you then determine, because one of the big questions I get asked is how many carbohydrates I should eat. And I go, well, it really depends on the quality of carbohydrates. It's this whole idea of simple and complex carbohydrates is silly. So instead, I created the sugar impact scale so you could really determine where is quality. Low sugar impact foods are high quality carbohydrates. And then you can figure out how many do you really need to eat in a day? Should you be keto? Should you be higher carb? Because it's different for everybody. And some people can thrive on keto. I find most women suck on keto. It's difficult if you've got thyroid conditions, adrenal problems, it's in fertility issues. This is not where you should be. So it really helps you determine where you should be and where your kids can be. But if you have someone with a brain injury, they'll do better there. So, you know, that's that's where I really set out. But the big thing I, I – the big difference with this program is this concept of don't try to go cold turkey. You will set yourself up to fail. You've got to taper this down and make that transition to help your body shift from being a sugar burner into a fat burner. Once you do that, it's like you just got set free. Yeah, I can say that from experience. And I think what perfectly um, illustrates this point, and I'd love for this to be where we start to wrap up, is um, you are famous for saying your body is not a bank account, it's a chemistry lab. Because I think a lot of people still buy into the idea of like calories in, calories out, and that kind of method of eating. And I will say like having... Um, been to your events. I know that you like walk this walk in your real life and you serve these things at your events, but you um, embody this this way of eating and this way of healthy food. And also you maintain an incredible level of fitness all the time. So I'd say you're very well qualified to speak to this, but can you explain what you mean by that statement? Your body's not a bank account, it's a chemistry lab and how that applies, um, especially like to the, to the food things that we've been talking about with the sugar and the gluten and the dairy. You know what's so cool is now I don't sound crazy saying it because <laughs> 25 years ago, uh, I was a trainer, you know, I told that story earlier and I was in grad school and guess what we were taught in grad school. If you wanted to lose weight, you would eat less, exercise more. And I had all of these, my majority of clients were 45 year old women and 55 year old men. And when I had them eat less and exercise more, especially the women, it didn't work. In fact, some of them got worse. And I kept thinking to myself, first, I thought they must be cheating, right? That's the first thought I will admit. And the good news is I got to take a group of them 
to a resort and I took them there and I got to control their food and their exercise. And what I noticed was some lost weight, some stayed the same and some gained and there was no way they were cheating. So therefore I had to look for a new hypothesis and I thought, what if what we're being taught is all wrong? Cause there are not things I was being taught in school that I thought were stupid and wrong. <laughs> you know, so I was like, what if this one was wrong too? Cause I knew as a trainer, if I made people worse, they weren't going to hire me again. And that's when I started really studying diet. And I knew that our physiology hadn't changed in the last 20 to 50 years, but our approach to eating had changed dramatically. And I was right in that phase where everyone was cutting the fat and watching calories and, and, and becoming insulin resistant. We just didn't understand it yet. But that's what I started to find in all the literature was how, you know, the biochemistry of all of this and even the biochemistry of exercise, which wasn't being taught. It's when I switched from having people do long, slow distance training to high intense interval training and weight training. And people thought I was crazy back then. because so I was like, you know, stop all that cardio, just go lift weights, you know, stop, stop focusing on eating six times a day, which is what we're taught, taught to do eat three times a day give yourself a good 12 hour overnight fast. And it was interesting because, you know, I was literally being told by doctors, it doesn't matter what they eat. It's just about calories. And I'm going, I'm watching these people and they're eating more food and they're losing weight. They're working out less. I mean, back when I was first doing this, I used to work out two hours a day. Now I work out maybe 30 minutes a day, five days a week. And I eat more. And back when I was doing this, I was eating a low-fat vegetarian diet with lots of cardio, and I was 20 to 2 to 25 percent body fat. Now at 54, I'm 15 percent diet body fat. Uh, you know, working 30 hours, 30 minutes a day, and being super clean with my eating. But it's basically I eat protein, fat, and and lots of non-starchy vegetables, a little slow, low carbs. I mean, I eat a high-fat, optimal protein, loady, loads of fiber diet. It's simple. I'm not hungry. I never worry about my weight. All of it's a non-issue now, <laughs> you know, and this is what I teach people to do. And it just makes it simple. But when I first started talking about it and said, you know, it's not about the calories, it's about where they come from. You would have thought I was saying, you know, the earth is flat. I mean, people thought I was absolutely insane. Now, 25 years later, it's kind of accepted knowledge and we get that. But we really need to look at food as information. You really need to consider that everything you're eating is telling your body something. You want to make sure that your food is telling your body to balance your blood sugar, which is everything. Balanced blood sugar is everything to lower your inflammation, to have great energy, to have better focus and to burn off stored body fat. And that is all about what you're eating and when you're eating it. That makes all the difference. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And I feel like especially for kids, if like our if the food we're eating is sending messages to our body and especially like the blood sugar connection with my kids, I've noticed like that changes their behavior drastically. And I see this in other oh, yeah. moms who change their diets. And I'm like, how can you in some to some degree, like don't stack the odds against them? Like if you want them to behave and to do all these things you want them to do, don't stack the odds against them and make it so hard for them. Exactly. If you give your kid like goldfish or um, Skittles for a snack, and then you're mad at them for being a brat, you know, shame on you, right? I mean, there's no way. If you gave me Skittles for a snack, I'd be a brat. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? I mean, hey, that's part of the reason I'm really careful about the food we feed at the conferences, because I want people to have great energy all day long and not, not crash and burn. You look at most of these 
conferences and in the afternoon people are just done and it's because they just had the most ridiculous crappy lunch <laughs> you know it's just like boof they're out so yes the, the best part about all this stuff is when you do this for your kids it makes your job as warrior mom so much easier it's so much easier and one final thing katie i know that one of the reasons that my son was able to survive the unsurvivable he was literally dead on the pavement was we had him on fish oil and we had him on fish oil before the accident happened which protects your brains you never know when your kid's going to hit their head and we all hit our heads and you hit your head you hurt your brain a concussion is traumatic brain injury and one of the the easiest ways to protect your brain is to is fish oil so especially if you can't get your kids to eat fish make sure that they're taking fish oil and there's lots of yummy different choices out there now like little yummy fish fish puddings i do a lemon drop smoothie one so there's great choices but that's super important along with the eating the blood sugar balanced diet yeah i love that and we make sardines a regular lunch option at our house too just for the food based okay, source of it you are now you're showing off <laughs> Now you just went into star star mom category. And one other thing that can help too is in the sugar impact diet, we have these amazing scales. I can make this available to everybody um, through your podcast link. And we have this these incredible scales and you can just see what's high sugar impact, what's medium, what's low. Just start to focus on feeding your kids more low sugar impact foods and you'll help change their preferences. Remember exposure equals preference. Yeah, I love that. And definitely those links will be in the show notes so everybody can find it. But also let people know where to find you online. I know you have a podcast, you have a website, you are everywhere online. Where, where do you want people to find you first? Um, probably easiest is to go to my website at jjvirgin.com and then you can jump off into my social media sites and my podcast, which I hope we have your podcast date set. I think we do. I'll make sure okay. we follow up on that. <laughs> make sure we do. Okay. Awesome. Well, all, again, all those links will be in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm. If you're listening, I can't write it down. Um, definitely encourage you to find JJ and follow her because her work is very research-backed and very easy to implement with kids even. And I think you're doing amazing work, JJ. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I appreciate you. And thanks to all of you for listening. I'll see you next time on the Healthy Moms Podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.